Hello and welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. This is episode 36 for Tuesday, July 3rd, 2018. And with it being the eve of Independence Day in the U.S., we figured what would be better than to bring on a Canadian that is a producer of an American web series for a Japanese car make. So our special melting podcast this week is Christopher Bowes of Bowes Media. They're the other half of the Super Rally Team USA's Launch Control web series and also the producers of the Canadian Rally Championship TV program. We'll discuss Launch Control, the Canadian Rally Championship, where rallying in North America is today, and where we think it's headed into the future. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Open Paddock Rallycast. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And with me, as usual, is my co-host who defected to the world of circuit racing this past weekend, Ian Holmes. Ian, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Hello, everybody. Yes, uh, I was uh, up at um, at Donnybrook Raceway this weekend. Uh, many people might not know the name Donnybrook Raceway. They might know it as uh, the Brainerd International Raceway. And it was their 50th anniversary weekend this last weekend. So some friends invited us up there and... Uh, we thought, oh, we'll go up. We were on the guest list. We didn't have to pay, so that was that was very nice. And we went up there, chatted to our our friends, and uh, they were in the timing and scoring box. So we ended up doing timing and scoring on the Sunday uh, of the race meeting. So that was quite the experience. Well, fitting you know, for a co-driver. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting. You know, it's uh, it's totally different to like watching racing because you're like paying attention to what's going on the track more what we were actually doing is called taping and we were like basically you know all the timing and scoring is done by transponders in the cars now and um what we were were with a backup basically you know if the power goes out in the control box or computers crash they need a backup and we were the backup scoring the old-fashioned way just n- noting down when the cars went by lap by lap you know that is really hard work you know if if you get like we one race i was working on was a spec master race and for the first few laps you could throw a blanket over the first nine cars yeah they're definitely <laughs> they're spec to they don't yeah they're, they're yeah. also equal <laughs> that was really really tough sir it was one. It was a, a heck of an experience. Great fun, and it's all goes back to uh, being a volunteer. You know, all forms of motorsport need volunteers to help to help out, whether it's rally or rallycross or even circuit racing. You know, indeed. I mean, we have uh, coming up to Portland National Raceway right here is. Uh... The Pirelli World Challenge is going to be part of our Rose Cup races. The Rose Cup race is just kind of normal, a regional thing. Um, but, you know, with this big group of, uh, you know, of the National Championship Series making a stop by, uh, they're looking for uh, some extra volunteers to help out out there. So, um, yes, I, too, can watch circuit racing. I dabble in watching F1, but usually get bored about... I, I watch the start mm-hmm. and then uh, a pit stop and then fast forward to the very end because <laughs> that's about it you know yeah um, indie car racing is probably my most 
favorite of other uh, forms of uh, circuit racing and, and motorsport because I think those cars and the drivers especially, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of fun to watch. And they're coming back to PIR, too, and I'm really excited about that. Just got my tickets. Ha-ha! So, hey, excellent. Yes, going to be excited about that. And my wife wants to go, too, which is doubly awesome. So, excellent. anyways, um, without much ado, more ado for about uh, circuit racing, we should probably talk about rallying, because this is a rally cast, and we're going to bring on our special guest we have this week. So, uh, just one moment, and we'll be right back. Well, as I said, we have a special guest with us this evening, and it didn't even have to, I didn't have to charge a tariff for him to come on the show. It is Christopher Bose of uh, Bose Media, one of the producers of the Launch Control Series and the Canadian Rally Championship uh, TV Series. Christopher Bose, welcome to the Open Paddock uh, Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate you guys uh, putting me on the show. Well, we're excited to have you, and as I kind of start out with, with all of our new guests, I always like to know, how did you get started in this crazy sport of rallying, uh, or in your case, in the media of rallying? I think I think the first thing to remember about me is that I have never rallied. Uh, I've actually only been in uh, less than a handful of rally cars at speed. I've never been in a Super Rally Team USA car. Uh, I, I, I literally am uh, a fan uh, who discovered his fandom through through working in rally, which is for people who would love that job. I'm sorry that I just snagged that without really, you know, doing it, the legwork, but that's sort of how it worked out. Uh, I went to school for broadcasting and uh, uh, I worked at that agency and, uh, you know, that just wasn't for me. And uh, uh, someone that I went to school with said, my dad works for this company in Toronto and uh, their editor just quit and they got this big show for ESPN and uh, you know they're they're pretty desperate so you know you can come in and if you if you do well and the show goes to air and everything's okay you have a job uh, and uh, yeah that was a company called TV to go and the episode was a 90-minute special that aired before the very first X Games that contained rally so the, the Colin Cray years back in the day. And we did like a recap of uh, the first sort of half of the season and previews of all the guys that would be going to the X Games. So I edited this stuff about this guy Colin McRae that I didn't know and this guy Reese Millen that I'd never heard of and this guy Travis Pastrana, which I only had ever heard that he was a little bit crazy. Uh, and this guy Ken Block that apparently created a shoe. And I didn't know any of it. I didn't know any of it at all. So that's how it basically started. Um, the show went off fine. I was working with this other guy that I'd never met uh, named Alan Aquell. He went on to, you know, drive for Dave, to co-drive for Dave Mira and more recently with Pat Richard and Antoine Lestage. And uh, that guy knew everything about rally and nothing about TV. And I knew stuff about TV and nothing about rally. So together we made like one person. And, and uh, that, was, uh, that was how I started. I mean, from there, basically, um, you know, I, I worked at TV to go for a bunch of years. In in 2007, we did the Rally America Championship Series, which, in my eyes, was possibly the greatest year of American rallying. I'm biased; I only have a certain background, but that would be my guess. Um, and then uh, after that, 2008, we did the Canadian Rally Championship with with uh, TV to go was doing that at the time. Uh, and after a few years, I uh, started my own business and started working with Warwick on uh, Subaru event videos. And before we knew it, we were pitching launch control and 
editing a pilot and uh and it went from there and then we got the canadian championship and so on and so forth and uh both work and my business grew from there well i think it's pretty fair to say that it's uh exploded from there um it, launch control i believe it, it it just started its sixth season um this it's exciting stuff that's been going on yeah uh i um it's been Five full years is the sixth, like you said. Uh, first episode came out two weeks ago. We're recording this, uh, and the second episode drops tomorrow. So I'm sure, I'm sure by the time this goes out, maybe that episode is out. Um, and uh, yeah, we got a couple other ones in the can. It's it's a it's a very different season from um, the other seasons. I think they're all kind of different, but this one brings it. I think a bit of a different twist. And so far, we're uh, we're having a blast, and and hoping that people are liking what we're doing. So um, let's just step back a moment. You said that you and Warwick pitched the idea of launch control to the guys at Subaru. So they yeah. did, they didn't. So it was so launch launch control is your idea. It's it's your baby, yeah, so to speak. Um, I mean, that, it was. I felt like it was born out of uh, sort of necessity. We were doing event videos for Subaru and. Um, you know, every now and then Subaru would go to an event and it wouldn't be the best result for them. They finish fourth or I don't know. And then we would go home and work our brains out to edit this video and put it together because the, basically the format was we would finish shooting and I would go home and we'd have to have a video done by Wednesday night to go out. Uh, so we would work our tail off to make some video. And uh, and then, you know, then we would be like, you know, well, they only finished fourth. So yeah, let's not put it out. And, and, you know, they were right to do so. You know, when you're doing like a little highlight reel, if, if it's out of context, a disappointing result is a di disappointing result. And we wanted to, one, put make sure that our efforts that we were producing, the stuff that we were making actually went out and didn't get blocked by, you know, whatever uh, marketing decision that was being made. And, and secondly, we thought like uh, something that work and I say all the time, you don't have to win to win fans. And I tell that to every race car driver, I get the chance to say it to, because the, the truth is, is like most people don't cheer for the guy who always wins. They feel they cheer for the guy who could win. And, uh, when they do win, then it's amazing. Uh, and that's like, you know, that's why the world cup in soccer right now is just going crazy. Everyone knows they're probably going to lose, but if their one team wins, and it's like the greatest moment of their life, you know? So uh, that's sort of how Launch Control was created, is the idea that, you know, if we can contextualize the difficulties that come in every season, uh, we, can, we can show how hard this is. Because when you mm -hmm. do it well and you always win, it seems easy, but it never yeah. is. That's exactly what one of our questions was. Like, and it's like, so many, so many people would just say, oh, it's Higgins. Yeah, he'll just win again, you know? It, which might be true, but... I can say, yeah, it's how do you find ways to make it still like a look like a challenge to the casual viewer? I don't have to make it. It is. Those guys work. Uh, you can say what you will about Higgins having the best car, which he probably has, uh, and the best co-driver, which he certainly has, and the best team behind him, which he certainly has. But, I mean, it's an impossible thing to be perfect, and you can't control a flat tire. You can't, there's so many variables that come into it. You know, when David and Craig show up at an event, they've met up, they've studied the previous tapes. They've like, they've done their homework. They know right. it in and out. So, and, and it's those things and those prep, the, that prep work that the team does that, you know, 
it's just above and beyond and that level of dedication is what's impressive more than the the money or the budget or whatever you might say is the reason they win i think it's that so yeah i think i think i'm gonna have to go I, back i drank, and... I drank the kool-aid guys i drank the kool-aid <laughs> <laughs> drank the kool-aid been fully bitten by the by the rally bug oh yeah no it, it's true though i mean the stories are just there if you look and uh, it's something we say all the time as well but you just have to be there right if you're nothing but watching the times of the top guy that doesn't tell you the whole story at all but i've noticed also another thing as the seasons have progressed you keep finding a way to keep the series fresh right um you have talked about some of those challenges before and they do they they are there but it seems to me you're doing a little bit more background into behind the scenes of the people than just talking about the events yeah um so that's just also sort of happened naturally. Uh, if if you if you're a real fan of Launch Control, you know that like season one is sort of like six to eight minutes, um, and season two tends to be more like twelve minutes, and and the later seasons are are more in the eighteen or you know sixteen to twenty four minutes anywhere in there, and that's because we think there's stories that worth that are worth time, and we we've sort of grown our goals and our budgets and everything over the years to allow us to do that. So in the earlier years, it was really like our budgets were 100% tied to the event. So we'd show up and we'd have to make a story while we were there. And, and now we've, we've grown it a little bit and we, have, we can widen the scope and Subaru sees value in widening the scope and telling those other stories. And I think those stories have like a lot of promise. Like for example, okay, this is a spoiler if anyone's listening to this tonight, but if, if you, everyone else is li- listening to it. No, uh, I need a day to edit. Right? They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. All right. All right. All good. Um, we tell a story about over the next three uh, episodes about the logistics of flying all over the world to do Olympus and then going to the Silverstone event and then back to STPR. You know, there's like, Yes, the drivers are moving back and forth, but there's also the the whole story of the prep work of the mechanics. And, you know, it's not easy. And it's actually like the biggest single series of moves that this team has ever had to do in their existence. It's like it's a mammoth job. And they're moving the most people they've ever moved. They're move, moving the most equipment they've ever moved. They're moving more cars than they've ever, they've ever moved. And all that is happening behind the scenes. It's like it's very much under the water and the and the paddles are going, but um, it's, it's a pretty amazing series of events. And to someone that might seem like a boring, non-starter mm-hmm. story, but I think in context with everything we're doing, it has its place. So that's how that kind of fits in. And that plays to your, you know, the background, the stories, the other people, the, the hard workers that are doing it, the, the interesting jobs that you don't really think about. Cool. It, it sounds like I'm going to have to go back and uh, and rewatch some of these uh, some of these videos. So, it, so launch control is your baby, and it's um it is it's all about works Subaru. But I mean, um, would you if you if you were starting all this all over again, would you would you put more focus on the other guys in Subarus? Because th- th- there's a lot, there's a lot of those about, and there are a lot of very good ones too. And we're forever mentioning uh, Jeff Seahorn, who always seems to appear on the podium. And uh, yeah. do you think he actually makes an appearance in an upcoming launch control? So he he gets his uh, his brief moment in the sun, from from our point of view. And uh, I mean, I think if if, if budgets allowed it, you know, I think there would be a lot more teams doing uh, a launch control style series because I think everyone has their own challenges. Like Seahorn as an independent, 
as a, as a privateer, he has a whole other slew of stories that are worth telling. Um, obviously, it's, it's all money-driven. It's who, mm-hmm. who's got the budget to, to pursue it. I mean, I think in Canada, we're covering the series, and, and you know, ultimately the budget money still comes from Subaru, but they see value in a different place and, and talking about the series of the whole and they wanted to, you know, not so much this year since Subaru isn't uh, fielding a factory team, but, you know, they see value in highlighting the people that are competing against their factory team and seeing it that way and spending the money on a broadcast show, which, uh, you know, the, the environment in Canada is just a little different and allows that to happen. It doesn't happen so much in the U.S., but um, that's that's the nature of that one. I see value in both. The, the plus side about uh, launch control is that dedicated focus to one team and telling the macro and the micro story all at the same mm-hmm. time. The, uh, but the plus side of the Canadian series is that we're covering so many teams and so many gets a little brief moment in the sun and a very wide angle version of their story. But when we're covering an entire race in 22 minutes, uh, you don't get deep into the story. No. Mm-hmm. So that's really the trade-off. I would love to cover more teams, but uh, with launch control, obviously, the nature is in is in the focus, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's just sort of how it works out. You know, this is a little bit of a segue, but you know, it makes me uh, kind of wonder. Um, you've been there since kind of, I guess, really the early days of YouTube um, when it wasn't what it is today. Uh, you were doing broadcast on, on a major television network and moved on to this you know these webisodes that are on uh, youtube a very different environment um you know when it comes to getting a sponsor like super you know behind you to back you for this kind of thing the viewer is different right what was that transition like going from one medium to the other um yeah i I would say maybe it's not as different maybe once upon a time it was really different um but today i don't think it really is um I think online uh, you can have that assumption that anyone who's clicked on it is someone who actually cares. Um, So for us, it means maybe a little less recap, a little less explaining the sport over and over and over again, because we we sort of make an assumption that, you know, you've been following along or if you haven't, you're probably pretty smart because you picked our show and you're going to pick up some of the rules that we're maybe not overly explaining. Um, That said, I think if you talk down to your viewer on a broadcast network and you over-explain simple rules, you, you tick them off. And so with the Canadian Championship as well, we, we don't assume that, that it's a, an, an uneducated viewer. If it's something really intricate, we'll explain it. But basic rules, we sort of, you know, like watching an NFL football game. Like no one explains what a third down is or whatever, you know. We just, you'll get it. Don't worry. And that's sort of what we are doing a little bit with both those series. Um, that said, where, where it does differ is with Launch Control, we'll only ever put up a guy's name maybe once or twice in a lower third, like a, a, in graphic form. Uh, and in the Canadian Championship, we just put them up all day long. Every time a new, go sh- a new guy shows up, we put up a new graphic. We just don't know if you're listening. We don't know if you're grazing, if you're at the bar and you got the sound off. We just don't know. <laughs> so it just it's different. And I guess the other thing that's a little bit different is the way we use our graphics on launch control. We assume that half the people are watching it on their phone, which makes me cry. Uh, I wish right. he, he would all put it on a big TV. But, but I mean, honestly, the storytelling side of things, not that different. Gotcha. Well, and, and speaking of just the, the quality of the imagery, I mean, you know, as, as things have moved on, you know, in, in high definition and whatnot, 
some of the imagery you guys are getting these days. Just how do you pick what to cut out when you have so many gorgeous images? <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the hardest question of the night right there, well, because I mean, well, I've, I, I've well, been that's... there, right? I've seen like, especially in the Columbia Gorge and whatnot. And I know the drones up there and following these cars. I'm just like, I could watch this all freaking day. <laughs> Well, there's a reason that the shows grew from eight minutes to 20 <laughs> five minutes. Uh, I don't know. It, it's honestly, we we definitely don't ever want to leave a, an amazing shot on the ground. Um, but um, um, my father, who was a, a broadcast guy um, in Canada for a long time, he uh, worked in post-production and he'd always say, you know, Sometimes you just got to kill your baby, and that's a really terrible expression. But it's true because you become so, so involved in involved in this video that you're making, and you, you know your heart's really invested in it. And you spent all this time, and sometimes you just need to cut. You just need to cut that thing out. Yeah, it's beautiful and amazing, but it, the story's better without it, and you just got to do it. So, a lot of the times, what happens is our original our original edit is uh, like 28 minutes, and we we trim it down to. To 25 or 24 so it's a by process of elimination and and that's typically what i do we work with a team of editors at at bose media so um i don't really do many rough cuts anymore but i certainly do some cut downs and sometimes they're hard choices we here have plenty of fans on on our show who keep us on our toes if we make uh, make mistakes um, I'm, i will never forget the hard time they gave me with the pronunciation of uh, chili coffee for example a couple of years ago and uh, <laughs> i believe it's uh, pronounced cafefe <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. uh, and, and and your fans actually latched on to a couple of mistakes in the uh, in the late in the last well the current launch control yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking about how yeah you know, you're talking about how how difficult it is to edit all this material that you've got and things things like those little mistakes they they just slip through the cracks don't they yeah, uh, there's uh, there's just a million spots where something can can happen like that. Um, for example, uh, the, the process is sort of like uh, I write a really preliminary script. I don't look at facts or numbers or places. I, I guess if I don't know what it is, I put oh, he's up by 21 seconds check, and I'll, I'll add a little check mark as in someone's got to fact check that because I don't care. I don't. It's not my not my job. And then we just write the story. And then our guys edit, and then we make a bunch of graphics, and then in Warwick has to review, and then it goes to Subaru. And it, along the line, you know, there's a little bit of telephone and our telephone tag, and our voiceover artist is in Florida. So, you know, there's telephone tag there. And, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time we catch it. Um, and uh, every now and then we don't. And sometimes those burn. It's because uh, then uh, certain people send you Facebook messages, and they're like, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what that's like. <laughs> By the way, it was the Portland International Raceway, and I said, "I know, I was there." He's like, "Well, that's not what it says on your graphic." And, oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, actually, that, but, that brings up something. You're talking about how you're, uh, you know, the the guy that does the voice stuff is down in uh, Florida. Voice of Brian. Uh, how did you guys find him? Because he's brilliant. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, to be honest, we. When we started the whole thing, uh, we put out an ad on uh, a website for professional voiceover artists, and 
said uh, online motorsport series, uh, ma- major manufacturer, professional voice artist required. And there was a little sample of a script, which was which ended up being a section of the first episode. And uh, we got some 250 applicants that all sent in demos. And we sat there <laughs> listening to demo after demo after demo. And uh, he, he just, uh, he was the best. Um, we narrowed it down to five and we asked them to do a reread on a couple things, giving them a little bit of advice on the style that we were looking for. And, uh, and then we sent those off to Subaru and Subaru agreed that our first choice was their first choice. So it was a unanimous decision, but it, it's a pretty boring story. And we, he applied and he got the job. Well, <laughs> well, he's a great find because uh, I don't know his, his yeah. tone, his, uh, I don't know, just the way that he, uh, it, just a great storytelling voice. And that's, I, mean, I guess that's one thing that I've talked about before is um, it, what I dislike about the WRC's coverage is how they try and do something fake live, right? It's a, it, they'll publish it the same day, but it'll come out at the end of the day, but they'll have bits in there as if they were live. And it's somebody that's like, actually like they react, they, right, they react they, to the video like, Oh, well, look at that. Oh my God. Well, you knew, you knew it was going to happen. And yeah. you can tell, in the way they verbalize it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it just it drives me nuts. And you guys are knowingly doing storytelling, meaning that it had already happened in the past. We know that, um, but you know the way we portray it is going to be yes, that it was in the past test, but we're going to get a little deeper into the details of it. Yeah, I, I just when you guys do something that's about you know wow that just happened, you're talking about an onboard where you're hearing the audio at that time of the driver and co-driver. That's very different. And well, first of all, the, the last thing I'm going to do is criticize the WRC coverage because I watch a whole lot of it. I love it. And while I, I, I take your point, it is uh, it's world class. So their their coverage is truly stellar. But I know what you mean. And it, it comes from a like an older style of motorsports broadcasting where none of it was live. So it was all live to tape or, or live to edit. And, you know, it. It comes from that. We we don't do it on launch control because we consider our shows to be documentaries, not race shows. Right. Um, and but in in Canada on the Canadian series, which we do consider to be like a sports highlight show, even there we we don't do the fake live. Uh, we just assume these guys are sort of like the voice of God, and we will we don't even have to say, "Oh my God, he's crashed." We just say, "And the next five seconds won't be very nice," and then. You know, there there's so much drama in the picture and in the sounds of the crashing or the motors and whatever you have happening. Like that guy just doesn't have to add any drama to it. It's it's all happening. Uh, exactly. I mean, you I, explained I'm, it I'm perfectly right there. It. Uh, well, uh-huh. I would I, I don't know exactly their their post production process, but I'm pretty sure what they're doing is a lot of it is uh, re editing their their live stream. So they're like taking some sections of it instead of having to redo the voiceover for everything. They'll like take pieces of what they've been doing and reuse it. Now that's what's cool. Actually the new all live. Now you have, you watch that apparently as well. Um, yeah, we, as we basically we. on a race weekend, it basically just lives on our TV in the office. And <laughs> never, <laughs> I want to work at your place. That sounds oh, awesome. Media is a great place to be. I'm not going to lie. Our, uh, our, our, our guys are really happy there and we have a great time. So, that, that, I mean, why a, wouldn't you? you? You're editing rally videos all day. Yeah, that's, again, th- just which the hardest part of the day is deciding what to cut. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. Damn. But then you, I'm sure you guys have your own, like, favorites file that you guys can watch whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah. We typically spend most of our t- free time um, finding terrible um, onboard clips of our camera guys inserting the GoPros into the cars and making funny faces at them. <laughs> and uh, the the constant um, the constant practical joke that happens is we find new ones. And before the, that editor gets into the office, we'll like change all the uh, home screens to that picture. So that when that guy comes in and turns on his computer, it's just like a giant face of him doing something silly. And anyway, it's I love it. It's, That's it's great. pretty. It's pretty, pretty low brow, but it, hey, we laugh. Oh, we used to do all kinds of pranks at a, uh, a a different place. I used to do IT stuff for where we'd like install a small program that makes somebody if they kept their computer mouse still for too long, it would start suddenly moving across their screen just to drive them nuts. Little things oh, like that. It's always I'm gonna fun. have to get you come to come to Montreal, Mike. <laughs> I think we, can have, we have some work to do. Uh, little office pranks are always fun, for sure. But uh, yeah. I, I like that. That's some great creativity. Uh, you know, you know, we we talk about a lot about launch control and, of course, the stage rally coverage. But um, it's also involved in covering uh, Super Rally Team USA and their rallycross that they've done, which yep. was. Um, and, and I don't know how much you can talk about this because I know you're kind of a little more deeply involved. But you know, you're not Subaru. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. a global rally cross, and I remember when they had started up with uh, Red Bull. I actually went down to uh, um, down to Long Beach and actually got a ride with a car in a car and whatnot, and I was all excited about that new series. And they had kind of a rocky start, in my opinion, because I didn't like the parking lots used as tracks. Um, but progressively, they improved and got better. Uh, unfortunately it was a series that didn't pan out very well. Um, I guess we, we now have this sudden transition to America's Rallycross, but produced by, or the series at least is run by, uh, the same folks that do the, uh, World Rallycross Championship, which, uh, as far as a platform goes, in my opinion, it's brilliant. I, I think they're, I think they've kind of shown the way, uh, uh, of how to properly, um, show that sport um i guess i was wondering what's your opinion of you know this new series that's coming online um obviously it was dramatic change (laughs) rather last minute um with what happened to grc uh yeah i guess and the challenges of here you're following this team and trying to edit footage that has some of the stuff from the past mixed in we saw a little bit of that with the uh the first episode and going into this new series what's that (laughs) You saw some blurred out stuff? In the yeah, episode, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, as far as the rise and fall of GRC, uh, I don't think I'm going to touch that one. Um, what I could say is I, I love the series. I miss it. I, I thought it had definitely uh, took some hits and some growing pains early on to, like, uh, figure out how they can show up on a parking lot and build a stadium that people wanted to actually be at. And I think they did a pretty good job by the end. Uh, and I think there was a lot of good there. And I think all the things that are good there, um, we will see. in and, and a lot of the things that we found frustrating or that fans might have found frustrating, I think a large portion of them, I think we'll see disappear. And um, I think this year will be obviously a bit of a transition year. Like you said, it happened pretty fast and pretty late. And um, obviously it's a, a reduced schedule. But I think from what I'm hearing, um, there's going to be some significant growth for the next year. And, and it's going to turn into a really 
stellar series. You know, a true rallyist, I get it. They're always going to love stage rally more than rallycross. I told you at the beginning that I, that I'm not really a rallyist. I'm more of a rally fan with a marketing and television background that I can tell the stories. And I think that actually helps me because I think if you get a little too gear heady or you get a little too nitty gritty on this stuff, you kind of lose some big picture things that are more interesting to fans. But um, I think I think it's gonna it's just gonna improve and and I really like it. I, I think. I love going in the woods and getting eaten by mosquitoes for three hours to get one shot. And it's awesome because it's a challenge <laughs> and it's a mission and it feels great. You're when, crazy. When you, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's fully crazy. Um, but I also love being at a parking lot with, you know, bathrooms and catering and, you know, running mm-hmm. water. And, you know, there's just, there's value on both sides. And I can see like the American population wanting to sit in the stands and drink a beer like like they would at a football game and and that's rallycross and i think rallycross is it's kind of like bite size it is very the football of rally because you know like a a race is three minutes and Mm -hmm. and that's what people like about football 10 minute play uh 40 seconds to talk about it or talk about the cute girl two rows up and then it's (laughs) another play and that's rallycross and i think it's you know my dad who who has never been into motorsports who you know, really, it's tough to convince him to to. He watches the launch controls, but it's really tough for him to admit that he finds it entertaining. And he came out to Ottawa last year, and he was like, "This is great. This is the future of motorsports." I'm like, "Dad, it's here. It's now. <laughs> it's happening. It's okay." But uh, yeah, I think it's awesome. I, I I know lots of people like to talk uh, about everything that's wrong with it, but um, it's really easy to oversee all the things that are right with it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's, I think there's, um, again, I always liked the, uh, what was the European Rallycross Championship that then transitioned to being to an FIA-sanctioned World Rallycross Championship. Um, uh, Not only are the events that they go to, you know, interesting and different, you know, they really did a good job of bringing out the characters of all the drivers and, and the dramas behind the scenes and just overall just a really good quality program and yeah um i i I, I do find value in that even if the racing part is these short little sprints i think the way the team there produces it um and use a producer obviously can see value in that as well they still find that behind the scenes drama just like you guys do with uh, launch control oh thanks um being compared to a national broadcaster i'll take it um and uh, those guys did a good job with that show um, I, I think the main thing that you're going to see, um, and I experienced a little bit at Silverstone, and I, I watch all the World RX stuff, is the format of the heats. They have like four qualifiers, and you you get points instead of having to get points out of positions. Um, so basically, like if you have ten cars, uh, or let's say you have you know fifteen cars, so you have three heats with five cars per heat. In GRC, if you get like, I don't know, say eight points for first place, six points for second, and you would add up your, your points and that would be, that would eventually take you through heat one, three, heat two into the semi and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it created an environment where like smash and grab became a very popular thing. If a guy's in first and you're in second, he's got two points. If you can knock him out of the way and somehow get in front without getting a penalty, you got two extra points. And it was like a straight line to a better result. So now it's all points. So you get, 
you know, 50 points for first, 45 for second, and so on. And it's overall of the 15 cars. So you could finish first in one heat, but because you were bumping and grinding with other guys, the other second heat that ran clean got a better time. And the guy who finished fourth did a better time than you when you finished first in your heat, and they got more points. So it does the opposite. It's, it's pushing you to be clean and do good times and, and have good racecraft. And I think we saw a bit of an improvement at the first event, but there was still there's still some guys that are coming from that old mentality. And so I think it's I think it's going to get a lot better as people see the way towards their success. And but I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's really fun. It was also really cool to be there in Silverstone to, you know, uh, we always wondered how fast the GRC cars were against the world cars. And uh, to be there and have all the cars on the same track, one after the other. So, you know, we, we would run our heat. Uh, and then they would have, like, uh, then the world cars would run their heats. And then, you know, so we, you could see these comparable times. And to see how close the times were to the world cars were, it's pretty awesome. There, there's really, there's literally no difference. They're, they're all within you know, two tenths of a second or whatever. And, and that was very hard to see because, you know, one, one time the track was drier or wetter exactly, or whatever. Yeah, so the weather came in. There's this constant variation, but, you know, to see that it was really, if there was a difference, it was so small. And, and that was, I know for sure reassuring for our Subaru guys to see those times and be like, wow, okay, we're, we're right there. Hmm. Hmm. You've already touched on this a little bit, but you're, you're also producing the CRC tv series now if we want what are the uh different challenges in doing a show that covering the entire rally versus focusing on on the specific on the specific team like you do with subaru here uh there's i mean it's it's immensely different um with subaru we are really catering to that one production the launch control and any of their needs um, and it's really a very simple, it's fairly straightforward what we're doing. And uh, with the Canadian Championship, we work for the, for the series themselves. We are hired by them um, as the official broadcasters for the series. Um, obviously, m much of the, the sponsorship dollars come from Subaru uh, Canada. But uh, uh, the Subaru Canada has no editorial rights. They don't review our shows before they go out, which is different than Subaru USA. Um, and, uh, and our missions are totally different. For example, at, at an event, uh, our stage guys will just, in the US, will just show up, film the top three or four cars, and then, uh, and then we leave, go to the next spot. Um, in Canada, we literally have you know, stage side banners that we need. Uh, we have to put them up. We, we have to show up well before the cars, before all the zero cars show up to make sure that our banners are done. We have to stay for every car. We film literally every car that goes down every stage. So the movements are more difficult. Uh, the, the cost and expense of having so many stage cameras to be able to capture all that because because they're less mobile, it's more work. Um, then finding an editorial line on site, you're, you're kind of like making decisions. You have 35 or 45 or however, however many teams and you can't be everywhere at once. So you're, you know, kind of trying to chase down an invisible target of what is the story at this event. And you're trying not to miss it. Uh, we have a team of onboard people that are managing 14 or so 15 GoPros wow. uh, onboard cameras that 
we have to, you know, it's not enough for the whole field. So sometimes we'll have, we'll put a camera, we'll decide that this guy's going to be fast this weekend and he's not. And we'll have to pull that camera and move it into a guy who's surprised you and is in second place. Uh, and all these things are happening all at once and you only have one chance of getting it. And then you have to go back to the office and make a TV show and fit two days or one really long day into 22 minutes. <laughs> it has to make yeah. sense. And, <laughs> and someone who's never watched rally has to be able to understand what happened. And uh, those who are super fans of rally have to feel like they got something out of it. So it's, it's a very big beast. It's a, a lot of work. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so similar, but so different all at the same time. I mean, th- that kind of makes me think that's like when you're out there and you're trying to get that story in the moment, like you said, you have to make transitions all the time. How is it that the uh, TV crew gets that information? Um, I mean, do they ha- do they have actually like kind of stage end reporters or crews out there? Or do they monitor radio traffic? Uh, are you following Rally Safe? Uh, we're if at events where they have Rally Safe, we're definitely covering Rally Safe. Um, it's an amazing tool. We love we really love Rally Safe. Um, that really gives us an up-to-date, very, very current uh, understanding of who's stopped and who's moving on the stage and gives you split times and stuff like that. It's really great. Uh, but we we are we don't have guys at the end of the stage checking in and getting interviews. It's just There's just not enough people in the world for us to do that with the budget that we have. So it's, uh, it's really about uh, sort of uh, listening to radio traffic, uh, rally safe if we have it, really just waiting for sometimes it's just waiting for them to come back to service and be like hey man what happened you know uh, <laughs> i'm very familiar with that process <laughs> we make really good friends with all the co-drivers because they've kept all the scores and so before the organization has time to put all their official scores into the scoring database that you can look online i can go to john hall and be like hey you got the top five and he's like yeah, we're in third. We're we're losing by this many seconds. You know, like he's just got it, and uh, all those top guys. Like, uh, it's honestly one of the things that I notice about a top level uh, co-driver versus a guy who's, you know, in a fast car but isn't used to being there. A top level co-driver, he's got all the times with the top five at yep. least, if mm-hmm. not the top eight. Depends on the field, but Alan Ockwell always has the top eight. He can mm-hmm. always tell me what's going on. A lot of these guys can. Uh, Craig Drew, um, he's for sure been following anyone that has any value into where they could land. Uh, these guys know the story before you do. So, and they're checking every stage. So, they're they're the easiest way to get the information. Mm. Sounds like I've got to up my game a bit as as a co-driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. If you want to run at the top, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a factor for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, every now and then you, you get a guy who's like uh, running in the podium. He's in third place and you ask him about times. He's like, oh, no, I'm not, we're not looking. Like, really? How do you know when you have to push hard or when you need to back it off if you don't know that you have a three-minute lead? But it's, uh, if, you're, if you're not used to being there, you just yeah. um, you just you're just reveling in the fact that you that you actually are up there and you you don't want to do anything to ruin it, you know. That's I, it. It's, it's happened to me on, on several occasions. You know, we were that I was like, we we find that we're running in, we find that we're running in fourth, and then I find out that I'll, I'll look at the side of the road and the guy that's in front of us is got got the hood in his car up, and I go, oh jeepers, that means we're in third. 
And it's like, I don't want to know. <laughs> There's a part yeah. of me. Does, I know I've got to be professional and keep my head screwed on and everything, but then there's a, there's also that, oh, God, we're doing really good here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, what, you know, one of the things that I don't actually understand about the sport um, because I, always, I know what you should do as a mm-hmm. driver or as a driver, but I've never had to be in a position where I should do that, yeah. you know? I've only ever experienced it from the outside. So, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, talking with some of the guys a bit about their experience. Like, what do you think about this? Or how do you adapt this? Like, uh, interesting enough, uh, at the STPR, uh, ATCO was experiencing Canadian or American stage rally for just the st- second time. And STPR only has one pass recce. And I was asking him to try to explain to me as a driver, how does he cope with that? How does he face it? Because, you know, I'm never going to face that. I'm never going to ever experience anything like that. And how, how is he going to understand that? And, and to get that kind of knowledge from him and, and learn that stuff, it's really still secondhand, but it's the only chance I have to understand what's going through their heads. It's, those are the sort of things that I find more fascinating. And I don't know if it ever actually sees its way into a launch control, like if that's ever passed on as clearly as I get, get it, but I try. Well, it just goes to show that uh, people need to come to events and then they'll really know firsthand because you can talk to these people. You know, um, yeah, that's one thing we love about this sport is it's so open. You, you have the opportunity to chat and uh, learn about the ins and outs of something like that. And yeah, yeah and you it's pretty eye opening. And you can go to a big time driver and ask him a really deep question. And odds are they're going to probably give you a pretty good answer. Uh, and, and usually it's pretty honest. Yeah. Speaking of STPR it was last year that, uh, yeah, I got into uh, some deep questions with uh, David Higgins and he rewarded me with uh, some champagne on my head. And you managed to make sure that cut got in there right in the first minute of the new season of Launch Control. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you're welcome. I don't know how to say that. You know, it was a, it was a fun moment. I mean, I, I no, it was. It, it was. What Launch Control is is a series of genuine moments for the most part. If something is too fake, I try to cut it out. So. That was a he genuinely wanted to do that, and uh, I think you genuinely appreciated being singled out. Uh, it was, it was pretty funny. Uh, been... I was completely not expecting it. That's for sure. <laughs> I've been I've been doused once by champagne, and um, if anyone's listening, never spray uh, cameramen with champagne. They don't like it. Mm. Um, but but at one event at an STPR uh, at a NEFR a couple of years ago. Travis came over and just dumped. I was on my knees filming a low angle shot, and he just came over and dumped the whole the bottle down in the back of my shirt. And uh, I was completely frozen. I'm holding a camera. I can't move. Um, and uh, I was really mad at him. And then I realized, wait a second, he singled me out. Travis, singled me out. he could have done that to anyone. He picked me. I didn't even think you really knew my name. Like, exactly. Right. There you go. That's media privilege for you, isn't it? privilege <laughs> it's a big word <laughs> anyway yeah it was really fun you were saying a little bit earlier that it's a little bit different now you know Subaru Canada not being a factory involvement with the uh, CRC although mm-hmm. they're still doing you know quite a bit of backing with their uh, their contingency program and whatnot yeah. and I guess I guess it makes me wonder like how, how has that changed maybe a little bit uh, the perspective of how you do the the CRC coverage now, we're seeing, 
you know, as with this most recent event, uh, uh, Beta Charlet, uh, Jean Sebastian Besnay, it's his first win, right? Ever. And, and things yeah. like that. Are, are we seeing a lot more firsts and things like that come out that you guys are able to tell a different story? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, the first thing is, is that Subaru is still obviously involved in rally and they are, they didn't reduce the commitment for the TV show and for the series. They're still supporting us because they see the value in rally, even though they've decided not to sponsor a, a, to support a team of their own this year. And I think it actually speaks to the strength of what Subaru has done. They've basically been the sponsor for Subaru Canada for the Canadian Rally Championship for about 20 years. And, uh, wow, most people a long in time. Canada that's a, run. I mean, if you yeah. think about it, from, from a manufacturer commitment standpoint, I mean, to be honest, I mean, let's think back. That's like, um, how long did Audi do uh, WEC, right? Um, endurance racing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about that kind of level of long term commitment. That's huge. And it's still ongoing as far as even that, not a factory team per se, but, you know, obviously yeah. still supporting it. Yeah. The Canadian Ride Championship has some really strong sponsors. Like I said, Subaru has been in for 20 years. Uh, before that, other we had uh, an oil man. We had, uh, we had uh, Yokohama who had been in there for a long time. Now Motul has been in uh, for a couple of years and Dirtfish has been in for a few years. So it's, it's a, uh, we don't do a lot of turnover in the sponsorship, and I think it's because they're getting good return on investment. But your question originally was, you know, how does that change our job? Um, and really all it means is, and I think it's kind of why Subaru decided not to do it, is that it, it, it's, it's just changing the narrative a bit. I miss Antoine. I wish he was there. Uh, he's an amazing competitor, and it's really hard to see that the probably what I would argue is if he's not – He's pretty darn close to it. The best uh, rally driver ever to come out of North America. He, his, his numbers stand alone. So he's, he's outdone Buffum. He's got more titles than Travis. It's hard to think that this guy isn't bigger than he is or isn't getting more opportunities than he's getting. But at the same time as, that I have this immense respect for him, I, I see the value in him not being there at the same time. To changing the story. In fact, I hope he returns. I, I, I love the idea of, as much as I know Antoine probably hates the idea, but uh, love the idea of the champion losing his, his budget and having to, to go at it like a privateer. And I mm -hmm. hope he puts together a good campaign. Super disappointed. He was scheduled to be at bay and he would have had a great battle with uh, the WRC mini of uh, Levesque. But uh, I think... Uh, there's the other side of it, which is all these privateers that are trying to put together good numbers and good budget to try to make a run at it. And I know you had Hubert Gaudreau on last week or last episode, and uh, him and uh, Simon Vincent are trying to put together a full season calendar, knowing quite probably that they don't have the fastest car. And uh, they're probably looking to string together some seconds, third, fourth, fifth places and try to put together uh, enough numbers to, to play the long game. And uh, I hope Antoine comes back and puts a bunch of wins on the board and we can really have like a mathematical equation for the whole year. I think that would just be a great story. And so far this year, it really has been. You talked about Besner. Um, Jean-Sebastien has been at that event for the best part of 20 years. Met, last year he cried when he made it on the podium said it was like a lifelong dream of his and the next year he comes back and wins it so there's just uh, 
it's it's creating all these interesting stories of like uh, who's going to be able to put together what they need to put together to win a championship and where does the champ fall in all, in all of this and where does it all lead? And it's, it's fun to not know the answer because oftentimes if you know that there's one guy that's just that strong, you know what the storyline is ultimately going to be. Um, but that's just really not the case this year. And I think Subaru saw that no matter what they did in terms of their factory effort, they were probably going to get enough screen time. Those Subarus are going to be on the screen and we're still going to equate Subaru with rally and their marketing dollars are still working. I can't disagree with that by any means. Uh, no, you're right. They're, uh, you know, uh, mostly at the front, you still see Subarus. So <laughs> that's, uh, definitely a, a thing there. And, um, yeah, definitely very it, reliable cars. It is and... a little, it is a little more varied. I mean, the first event we had, I think we had three Subarus and this one, there was only one, there's two Mitsus. Um, but, uh, you know, it, they're, they're, they're all over the place. And, uh, anyway, I give, I give Subaru props to recognize the, the nuance in it all, but, uh, you know, yeah, I hope they, I hope they either come back with the factory team again, or, or at least, uh, continue with their contingency program. Cause I think it's working for a lot of guys and, uh, yeah, it's great. You know, one thing you mentioned, uh, briefly was, uh, with how Lavac uh, ended up having, ended up pulling out at the event and here's something with the stuff that I do with ARA and doing the, uh, the live stream stuff on, on Facebook. And, and it's always a challenge. Um, and I kind of want to know your take on this. It, they ended up pulling out after a severe time penalty. Uh, I guess they checked in late, really late into a time control and got like a two minute penalty or something like that just dropped them way back mm -hmm. from where they wanted they, to be. Right. They, they checked in early. They checked out of service early. That's what it was. Uh, okay. By by ten minutes, and so they. Um, if you check out late, you take ten seconds. Right. Penalty. If you if you go early, then you take a full minute. Every minute early is a full minute, and so they let that left ten minutes early, and they took a ten minute penalty. Ten minute penalty. So, oh, geez. Yeah. So that's penalty. just huge, and so I mean that was gonna yeah. put them way back, but uh, obviously it's a high emotion situation for a team making that kind of mistake. I'm used to kind of you know being around some some of that emotional drama, but. It's also one of those challenges that makes the sport so interesting. I mean, I love seeing, uh, I, I guess, like, you know, it's like kind of like the stage end stuff, right? You get that raw emotion from somebody doing a great stage or next thing you see them showing up and they've got, you know, a completely delaminated tire. Uh, there's just that raw stuff that you get. Um, how do you, when you're filming this kind of stuff, and maybe it's the different crews or, or obviously you're, you're out there with the camera sometimes too. Mm-hmm. What do you do to try and get a driver or co-driver to talk about something that's that frustrating? Um, well, I, specifically about that situation, it's actually an interesting example. Um, sometimes it has very little to do with what they say. Um, the, uh, I we were at the we were at the service and everything seemed fine. They came in and they were working in the car. We went and did a bunch of interviews with a, a bunch of other teams, and we thought we were done. We were putting the camera back in the in in the in the truck and we were getting ready to go to the next spot. And um, and then one of the guys on my team just said, uh, "They're still here." I said, what? I said, the, "The mini. It's it's still here." I said, "Yeah." So he said, "Well, Besner's gone." Uh, one of the test racing cars is gone. Um, and I was like, that means they're late. But I'm looking at the car. No one's working on it. It's sitting there. It looks great. Perfect. 
nothing to no no damage or anything. I can't understand. Yeah. I, I interviewed him. Everything was fine. Yeah. And uh, when when and I we we started realizing that uh, you know. Uh, you could see that there was uh, the team was super upset. Stephanie Lewis, their co-driver, was unbelievably upset. Uh, you know, and they were having a team meeting and trying to reconcile what had happened. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's not an easy decision to decide to call it quits. And I'm sure another team might have made the decision not to quit. But uh, uh, from the coverage standpoint, uh, I saw a lot of visuals of people you know, just trying to wrap their head around it. And we decided not to interview them. We decided that the images of them dealing with and reeling from what the decision that they had made and the, the situation that had happened, we thought that was more powerful than the actual words that they could say. We also knew that it would be uncomfortable for them to talk about and right. maybe, maybe, you know, it was too early or too fresh. And we just thought that those visuals were strong enough, strong enough to stand on their own. And that was the decision we made uh, to let it go. Uh, I did talk to Joel the next morning and, you know, he, I said, you know, you, you, you could have mounted a comeback. And he, and he told me, he's like, listen, if I was, if I had a sponsor or a factory drive or, but I don't, and this is, you know, my car, I paid for it out of my own pocket and it hurts every time I hit a bump. You know, like, oh, did that? Did I just break the bumper or whatever? You know, it's just, it's like, I, I just, I, we're not happy, and why spend the money? And yeah, it's risk expensive. The car if, yeah, I was gonna say, it's, 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 it's not just, you know, there's also not only just risking the car, but there's parts on a WRC-based car that is designed to wear, right? And the more miles you put on it, the more stuff you're just, regardless if you hit something or not you're going to have to replace, right? Yeah, I can't imagine being in their situation. It's a really hard call that they made. I can't imagine being in Stephanie's situation. She made an honest mistake. Uh, I know that lots of good co-drivers have done that. I've televised them before. It's not the first time I've seen it. She's uh, no doubt very hurt about it. And the decision to quit must sting even more. But... uh, You know, he's a, he's a super competitive guy. They both are. They're very competitive. Yeah. And I, I know they're a competitive team. And to, to be out of the running like that, just it just eats at them. And, I, and I, I feel for them for having to make the decision. And that's part of the reason why we didn't go see them. Because, uh, you know, kick someone when they're down. Sometimes you just don't have to do it. And we right. didn't have to. Yeah, I know for me, you know, often when we're kind of approaching, we'll see just kind of the, the shake of the head from a co-driver or something like that. Just like, yeah, just leave, leave it lie. Um, yeah. But like you said, you know, a picture can tell a thousand words. Definitely a, a tough time for them. But the reality is, this is their first time back in what, like two years or something like that? Yeah, that's it. So, I, you know, f- for as much as, you know, people will be like, you know, wow, what, what a stupid mistake to make. It's an honest mistake. And their experience, again, they're not a factory team, right? And they hadn't nope. really run anything beforehand. Uh, and so... You know, this is kind of just getting back into it, and mistakes happen, yeah. and I totally get it. Um, I'm, I'm sure, Ian, you probably can relate a little better with, uh, you know, when you haven't been in a car a little, in a little while, if you haven't done a TSD at least or something like that, having to get your head wrapped around uh, timing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, I don't, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm paranoid about watching the clock. 
myself so i can't imagine what it would be like to uh to um to actually leave, leave like 10 10 minutes early it's just that uh, i'm i'm I just trying I mean, to try she, forgot, she forgot to carry the one ultimately you know oh, that's all hey, that's, I, that's, I, I, that's what it that's the that's the equivalent of the mistake yeah and in canada it's always antoine that runs first on the road you know he's he was just that, that consistent uh-huh. and at every event he was always very few people have had to run first on the road and mm-hmm. they don't have that much experience in canada and and those two factors you know that that's all it took Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that is the one thing I'm absolutely paranoid about. Is 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 what it's like carrying the start time over into the next hour. And but Ian, don't I, you I, have a little bit as an advantage that you know what other car is in front of you, mm-hmm. and when they leave their stall right from service, you can be like, hey, shoot, we better get ready because exactly. we're going to be a minute yeah. behind them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have something as a precursor to be make sure that you're ready, because you can kind of rely on that. Maybe not 100. percent Yeah, but if, if you kind of have, can use that as a litmus test, right? If, if you're if you're if you're sat in one corner of the field doing doing a service, and the guy that's going out in front of you is across the other side of the field, you're not always going to see yeah. him see him leave. And it's and it, it is it absolutely is the one thing I am absolutely paranoid about is is calculating out times. I will I will get well, I will go over it again and again and again just to make sure that I've got it right. So it's uh, I can feel I can feel their pain. I really can because I can't imagine what I would feel like if I got it wrong. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know how uh, the mini team, um, how the Vax team organizes their time ins and times out, times out and all that stuff. Uh, but I know on uh, the factory team in the U.S., and it was the same in the factory team in Canada, um, they come in and the co-driver says, okay, this is our out time. And then the team manager confirms it and writes it on the board. Like there's a, a double check process. And in a lot of like smaller privateer teams where they don't have – you know, sometimes it's as simple as buying a board and putting it up um, and having just two people think about it for a second. But sometimes they don't. And it's just it's on the co-driver to get it right and know it. And, you know, it's just very easy to make that mistake. It's it's subtle. It's a really small mistake and it had big consequences. So I feel for them. Yeah. Give us a, a little bit of an overview of, uh, you know, obviously we talked about uh, what happened to Joel Levac. Um We talked a little bit about uh, Jean-Sebastien Besner uh, getting his first win. Um overall just uh give a little bit about uh rally bdc we talked a little bit you know obviously with uh um uber uh, about that event it's a huge fan base there i i noticed that the rain came in and yet the spectator stage was still packed full of people they were jamming it's it's an amazing thing um the bay is is just uh it's a bit of a unique event and i don't like saying best or worst or whatever but it's definitely up there um, as one of the best, if not the best. And uh, it's a small community. It's like a, out in the Gaspé Peninsula, a very rural, uh, you know, small town kind of community. And everyone's behind it and has been for 40 years. Um, uh, we went to dinner and uh, the waitress that was serving us, she recognized us. We go to this place every year. And she's like, oh, yeah, my, my boyfriend is so upset. It's the first time he's going to miss it in, uh, in, since he was born. You know, he's really upset. I can't even talk to him about it. He's like, I'd like to tell him that I ran into the TV crew. And he's like, she's like, I can't say it. He'll, he'll lose his mind. He'll be so upset. And that's the level of dedication that this 
community has towards it. I mean, uh, I've, I've been to rallies all over North America and I've been to some WRCs and, you know, this ceremonial start, they do it the night before on the Friday. They got DJ pumping music. They got an MC calling every single car. They had a ramp just like in the WRC. Every car comes up one at a time. Every car gets out, waves, says, hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks so much. And then they drive off. There's lights and, you know, there's in this small little town, there's like a couple thousand people lining the road, waiting to see this car go at like road speed over a ramp, but they're That's into it. Awesome. They're, they're, they're committed. It's a party. It's really, really cool. And then uh, there's some famous spectator points. There's the Camp Brulee spectator stage, which you can see three, four corners. And, you know, uh, everyone is drinking poutine and drinking beer or buying, eating poutine and drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. And it's just very Quebec. And it's just everyone's out having a party in, in the middle of the woods. And it's like thousands of people. And like you said, it, it started to rain. Everyone just put out, pulled out their ponchos and were cheering when they got splattered with mud. Like they, they literally <laughs> were like, love it. yeah, it just happened. I got the mud, you know? <laughs> and we had this, uh, uh, one of our new editors that just started with us, he's learning the ropes on rally. And this was his first event. And I said, you go down and you stand by the barrier. And he got mud splattered. He came back. He's like, that was great. You know? And it's just like, it's, they're into it. And it's, it's really awesome. And the roads for the, for the, you know, that's from the fans point of view. And from my point of view, filming it, it's really exciting to see, so many people care about it, but from the competitor's standpoint, it is one of the most diverse rallies in the in the series. They have tiny little sections of roads with like two little lanes and trees hitting you on each side while you drive up. And then they got big highway sections that are almost like too wide and too fast. And then they have, it's just such a variety. And the, the road condition is such that if it's dry, it's a very smooth and challenging rack but if it rains that that mud becomes like sort of slimy and it reveals all these jagged rocks and it's a then it's like a treacherous battle that these guys have to go through and uh it it's always a, a rally of attrition but it uh most very few cars come out of it without battle wounds but the ones that demand they, it's like a very rewarding experience uh, i gotta see that one at some point you got it. You got it. Someday go. I got to go up there because that, that the one there way, just, yeah. It's the same way that I tell all Canadians that they really should go to Oregon Trail because I think it's just so pretty um, and it's just such a good one. And I like, I love Portland. So um, I love that rally. It's Thank really, you. really awesome. I, re I really like Rocky <laughs> as well. If you ever want just the prettiest rally in North America, it would have to be Rocky. Um, just like you're Ooh, just racing a in the, challenge you're for Oregon Trail, Rocky being uh, more picturesque. Yeah, I've seen some good shots from up there. Yeah, I can you're see really that. right. You're right in the middle of the Rockies. It's really awesome. Mm -hmm. They're they're both amazing though. I they are. I, it would be hard to pick between the two, but uh, Bay brings a different thing. It's it's right on the coast, so it's really pretty. But the the stages aren't quite so pretty. They're really sort of like down and dirty rally stages. But it's a really really stellar event. Um, as for like what happened there, uh, it was a really interesting event. Um, there's some local guys, the LeBlanc brothers. They were on their way to a very good second or third place. And uh, there's a very famous jump that's also a spectator zone. There's a couple thousand people lining a jump, and the car jumps through the crowd. Like, not through in a dangerous way. It's like there's a crowd on each side, and they, they make the jump. And anyway, they landed, and, and it broke all the... the uh, it broke the wheel off the car and they didn't have any nuts to or bolts to screw it back on. 
So oh, so the he, stud snapped off. Oh the my! The stud snapped off, and so and it's it's heartbreaking because they had to stop and they had to take the other wheel off and pull some studs out of that side to put them on the other side to get a wheel back on so they could keep going. And, uh, you know, they were in a control zone. That's the control zone. So it's an illegal service. They had to take a penalty and it, blew, it ruined their rally. They were on their way to a podium. Um, Boris Georgievic, who had, has had some unbelievably bad luck with his car, just had been str- str- struggling with some mechanical uh, gremlins in his car for the last, I don't know, six months, uh, finally turned the page and got managed to get on the podium. Uh, the Besner story was great. And in two-wheel drive, there's uh, two Fiestas battled it out. And uh, we did the podium. And um, a couple minutes before, we didn't even know who had won. Uh, it's uh, Jason Bailey in the uh, Trailer Park Boys Fiesta. And uh, Vin, Wim Vanderpool, who used to be in open class and has decided to go back to two-wheel drive. And they... If you take away the penalties that they incurred for late service or whatever else that happened, uh, there was an interesting thing that showed up on Facebook. They, their times put them at 0.03 seconds apart. Wow. And yeah. we know Jason Bailey pretty well. He, he, he plays in the Northwest uh, over here uh, pretty frequently. G- great competitor and, and really good mm-hmm. in that. But seeing uh, Vanderpool, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah great result by those guys uh to, to see them battle it out now are they both the same kind of fiesta r2 in that they're uh, both the normally aspirated type or was one the uh the the smaller displacement turbo motor no i think they're both uh naturally aspirated i could be wrong uh i know that whims is newer so i think he's got a later gen which has got some tricky bits but i don't think it's turbo i think it's the same um and um it's it's they're great they're they're great little cars those guys are having a blast Wim came from uh the open class uh, he had a uh, evo 8 that he tried mm-hmm. to run and you know it's there's a couple things that are happening there one it's so expensive when something goes wrong you're just out so much money and yeah. he was struggling with some engine situations and popping engines at every event and you know it's i don't know what that is is it 10 grand is it 20 i don't know a lot of money every time to replace that. I know he found that to be frustrating. And, you know, he's also, uh, when you go to open class, now you got to compete with the Antoine Lestages and the David Higginses of the world. And it's really hard to, to leave satisfied when you know that some guy spanked you in what's supposed to be the same class of car. Um, so it's, I, I saw him go back down to the two wheel drive and it, he's, it's only his third event, but he's just, he's picked up on it. He's super fast. I think it's just more accessible for him in every way. And he's having more fun. We, we keep showing up on the live streams to interview him and he's like, Oh, what's up? And he looks like he's out of having a barbecue in the park. You know, like he's just such having such an having a blast. So uh, I, love I think that. it's a great move for him. Yeah. That's great. Well, and uh, according, if I'm looking at this right now, I don't know if the points are completely updated yet on CRC's webpage, but uh uh, Wim looks like he's leading the two-wheel drive uh, drivers championship. So, yeah, yeah good um, on him. Jason had some mechanical something broke in the late stages of Rocky, and he didn't he didn't collect any points. So, yeah, I know he's really uh, chapped about that, and he plans to to make a make a change there. But uh, yeah, we'll see. It's it's a fun battle. It's, it looks interesting. So our good friends, uh, Simone Vincent and Hubert Gaudreau, they finished fourth overall. Um, 
how are they doing in the championship? If I don't know if the overall is is uh, showing correctly yet. That's why I'm showing that uh, it shows that they're still leading, is. but I'm not sure if yeah. that's accurate. I believe that's accurate. I, be- I believe they have a one point lead, lead, if I'm not mistaken, over their teammate Karel Carre. Um, Karel didn't go west, but he had a win at uh, Persnage and now a second place at Rocky. Whereas um, Vincent did go west. And so they had a third place at Personage, a third place at Rocky, and now a fourth or, yeah, I should know this. It was last weekend. I do a lot of rallies. Sometimes I get mixed up. Uh, Tell me about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally so, understand so, that. <laughs> fourth, I think fourth place and uh, amazing points for them. So they're doing the, you know, slow, the not slow and steady, but the steady wins the race perspective. Mm-hmm. They're, they're collecting those middle to high middle points. And yeah, so we're, we're waiting to see. Um, I know that Simo is prepared to go west again if he has to, which is always a big thing for the eastern teams to go west and the western teams to go east. Right. And uh, I don't know if Karel will go west. He's he's playing his his uh, calendar a little closer to the vest. So there's there's a lot happening in there in that battle for the for the championship. And and then there's the unknown of what kind of calendar can Antoine put back together. Um, it's a really fun time. And this weekend at, at Bay, there was 15, I calculated 15 cars that could have been on the podium or at least fighting for a top five. It was a really big field. It was hard to kind of get your head around who to follow and who was going to be your contender for the race. But that's, that's what's happening in, in Canada. Uh, it's, really, it's really fun. A lot of homegrown guys that are putting together challenges for wins. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, you know, that brings me to think about you know, obviously Canada's got a pretty healthy championship. Um, in general, I want, kind of wanted to talk about just the state of rallying in North America. Um, you know, you obviously have a healthy championship kind of going on now, now that uh, you've got a really close battle going on, even within <laughs> a certain team there. Um, but, you know, you've been around U.S. rallying, rallying in Canada, uh, seen the stuff that's gone on with, you know, America's rally cross now, um, and GRC, what's kind of your opinion of just the state of rallying in North America, um, at this point in time? Uh, I think, uh, I think it's a, a great time for rally. Um, I, I think in Canada, uh, I think Canada has a really, a really good middle class, you know, <laughs> like, uh, at any event, I really genuinely think that there are 10 people who are going for a podium or a top five. And they're all sort of in that uh, open class, but not crazy open class kind of area where they've, they've got sequentials and dog boxes. But, you know, they're probably not quarter million dollar cars like the Subaru factory team was in Canada. But they're putting together really good cars um, on good on decent budgets and they're working the numbers and putting together some good results. I think if those cars went to the U S um, they would find some more resistance. Cause I think the U S has a few more um, upper middle class cars, the, the Seahorns and uh, a lot of the newer Subarus, the, the nieces and so on. And, uh, and I think, I think that's sort of the difference there's always going to be a gap somewhere in the rally field. And I think in Canada before it was sort of like there was Antoine and then there was, and if Levac was there, fine, but there was a bit of a, a drop 
And then there was a lot of guys fighting for the rest. And in the U.S., I think it's it's actually a little, a few more guys near the top, and then the gap is a little bit lower down. And then you have a lot uh, of of slower guys that are that are in the 60 speed factors, and not so much the 80 speed factors. Um, that's my take on it. As far as how healthy it is and how it and how it's doing, um, I think rally is more known today than it ever has. I think the internet has been a huge help for that. Uh, I think when I started and I told people that I did rally videos, 90% of the time, no one knew what I was talking about. Now I've got to explain an entire sport. Yeah, you just you go out into the woods and uh, yeah, it's just an, it's, it's impossible thing. <laughs> oh, let's do this over our beer. And like, you know, it's, it's just like uh, it's, it has to happen so fast. So um, today I, I tell people about what we do and uh, they may not know everything about it, but they know what it is. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times they're more of a fan than you realize they are. Because you start telling them about what you do, and they're like, "Oh, I've never heard of that." And then they're like, "Yeah, but have you heard of this guy Travis Pastrana?" And I'm like, "Yes, that, I mean, yes, this is what I'm talking about." Or anyway, <laughs> they, they, they they inevitably know more than they think they know, and it's because it's a lot more visible. And anyway, I think it's uh, I think it's good. I, I compared a lot um, to to like I said, I think I mentioned at the beginning in 2007, um, the Rally America Championship. Um, was a really special place. And I compare it to what's happening in Canada right now. Because back in 2007, you had Travis and Ken, but they were in, in a, what I would consider an open class, but maybe like a group and plus kind yeah. of open class. And uh, because that was the, the sort of level of card back then, um, you had a lot of guys. You had ACP and then Evo 9, uh, you had Anton Lestage back then, who was in a in a uh, Hyundai Tiburon. Oh, that's uh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Tiburon. Paul Schre- Those were built by Lieber Racing, so Paul Schreinard was also doing that. Um, you had Lachlan O'Sullivan in uh, in a Mitsubishi. Um, you had Matt Iorio in a Privateer Subaru, and then you had the Tanner Faust and Andy Pinker Subarus. Uh, you know that he was already with Rockstar. Tanner was, but uh, Andy Pinker was in that uh, Jack Daniels car, which was always just the cool, just straight black. So Jack Daniels liveries, I was like, wow, that guy's pretty badass. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was uh, uh, there was um, Roman Alagaman, who actually led the championship for most of the season. Uh, that, it was just like a phenomenal time. And then you had uh, you had Matt Johnson, some guys in PGT class, and you know it was like a really exciting time to be in the u.s and rallying because again it was like 10 guys who legitimately deserved to be on the podium who could be there uh and it wasn't all just how much money you got it was like putting together good results event after event and uh that's what i'm seeing in canada it's, it's a really i loved making those shows and i feel like i'm making those shows again in 2018. cool so you think that we're rallying rally in north rally in america is like it's got a strong base. So, uh, what do you think are the opportunities for, for to to grow the sport? I mean, do you think that uh, a CRC TV like program could could work in the US? And would you do it? Uh, yeah, I would. I would love to do it. Uh, um, I don't. I think there. You have to find someone who's willing to pay for it. Um, uh, 
it's it's been a discussion I know in the past that they would love to do it. It's a matter of uh, the money. Uh, one of the things that happens in Canada is it's only seven events, and I know in ARA is eight or still it's seven events. Am, am I right? Yeah, it's uh, seven events this year. Seven events this year. Um, there's uh, so there's there's that much money. The main difference that's different in the U.S. is in Canada we have these Canadian content laws that all the broadcasters have to you know gather enough Canadian content. They have to hit a quota basically, because we've got these big noisy neighbors down south, and they just they take up so much bandwidth, and we watch so much American TV. So we try to like make sure there's a little Canadianism in it all. And uh, so, so there's actually have... a regulation that says there has to be a certain amount of Canadian. St- I, I kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah, um, basically, I mean, it's it's not a thirty second conversation, but. Uh, the short, of, short long of it is, is in Canada, they, they, the, the airwaves, so to speak, I know it's not over the air much at all anymore, but the airwaves belong to the people. And right. So in order for you to maintain your license, you must provide certain things. You have to do a news program. You have to have all these things. And one of the other things you have to do is you have to have a certain amount of Canadian content and different licenses require different things like uh, the CBC, huh. which is our PBS. They have to be like 90% Canadian and other broadcasters have to be 60% or anyway, that's something like that, basically. So in, in their quest for Canadian content, because we're a Canadian show with Canadian people in it on made by Canadians, uh, we, um, we basically can get airtime for free or as a, as an agreement, like we'll provide you with the show, you'll put it on the air. And as a result, you won't charge us for the airtime because we're providing you with Canadian content. And, I see. Uh, okay, that makes more sense then. Okay. Whereas in the U.S., you would have to buy the airtime, and it would be a would be a huge endeavor. So the budgets just sort of rise and rise and rise. And so I don't know if it'll ever happen, but if it ever does, if anyone can ever make that happen, we we would we would make that show for you guys any day. We love the ARA; it's awesome. So, so I guess since you guys are kind of already kind of embedded with the um, with the Subaru team. I mean, would it be an extremely large effort from your end, at least from a production standpoint? Obviously, there's the funding that needs to happen. But from a production standpoint, would it be a much larger uh, increase of manpower or, you know, cameras and things like that? Or just uh, an incremental? Um, well, it all comes down. I mean, this is one of the things that people don't really realize about launch control is, I mean, we're not complaining about our budget, but but it is a it's a small group. We show up to an event and we typically only are three people, um, and you wouldn't think that, but but we're very nimble. We go to a lot of camera spots and we get a shoot top five guys and we run off and we get another one. And so in a loop of say four stages, we can maybe hit two or maybe even three if we're really lucky. Whereas if you're doing a full broadcast. You basically put your guy on one stage and he has to stay for every car because you have to film every car. Right. And so the, the amount of camera guys you need just grows and grows and grows um, to make that happen. Um, in other respects, it wouldn't be that different. Um, we know the events. We know how to book the hotels and where the flights have to go. And we know how that all works. But, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a quite a significantly different budget. It, it really comes down to if it's if it's doable based on the sponsorship dollars that are available. And that's always, that's always been the case. And, you know, back in uh, 2007, when we did do a TV show for 
Rally America, um, it was owned by a different person. And mm-hmm. that guy, Doug Hager, was trying to prove that Rally was telegenic and he was getting, he made the deal happen with X Games and he thought like, this is, this could be huge. And he really thought he would be able to sell it and get sponsors to pay for it. And, you know, the TV show basically stopped because those dollars didn't come in. And, uh, well, what year did you say again? 2006 and 2007. Okay. 2007 was the year the economy fell. Right. So it's just, his timing was, uh, an epic, unfortunate, (laughs) you know, you know, he invested in this thing and, uh, I, I think it probably would have caught on and maybe stuck around if the timing just was different. If if yeah. if that was done probably today, or if it was done at that level in say 2005 or something like that, where it could maybe gotten you know a little earlier and gotten a foothold before the collapse, um, maybe it could have uh, continued. I don't know. You never know. But uh, I can't blame him for not wanting to spend his own money anymore <laughs> right so, yeah, yeah that's, that's tough so, yeah uh anyway that's i mean i think that's where where it lies and, and the issue is with all that is what comes first the 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 chicken or the egg do you make the show and hope you can find someone to pay for it or do you try to convince someone to pay for something that's never been made or hasn't been made in you know uh 11 years so it's uh it's tricky uh and i think the U.S. Um, TV deal will be a difficult, difficult one to put together. I hope it happens, but it's um, it's not going to be simple. And and you got to ask yourself if, if that's going to really be the difference. Um, in Canada, there's a lot of people that actually, you know, would argue that the TV show isn't necessarily the best thing for the series. The hmm. lower lower end competitors are disappointed when they didn't make the 22 minute show. Um, we try to explain to them, you know, uh, how we come to the decisions that we make. And uh, it definitely feeds the upper end of the sport. And if that's good for the whole series, then that's great. But um, there's a lot of people in rally that uh, participate in a sport for a hobby. And they, they're not, you know, not, not necessarily yeah. doing it for the glory. And uh, so sometimes a, a show like that is considered a distraction for those people. Um, I certainly... We, we also do a lot of, in Canada, we do a lot of live streaming on Facebook, and we really try to make sure we're hitting up those um, competitors that aren't in the top three and really try to get some extra airtime for all those guys that may or may not make the TV show. Um, but there's, so the online community is really where uh, a, you know, 15 to 40 position competitor can get some time. Um I don't think it's going to happen on a TV show. Uh, that, that's a fair point. You know, it's one thing that uh, I know that we try and do with ARA's thing in a similar, you know, vein. Um, we try and definitely get as as far down in the order as we can, uh, especially when we can find the interesting stories down there and whatnot to, and get them um, on the stream when we can. But we also have the same logistics problem because, you know, few uh, a few people trying to get to the stages, trying to get to the service, trying to get around to everybody. And it, there's only so much time. It's uh, the traveling circus. That is rally is a huge challenge versus circuit racing where everything's all in one spot, right? It doesn't move. Uh, yeah. So 
It's something that and the better events that. tend to, tend to be in the middle of nowhere because that's where the right. best roads are. Yeah. So, you know, that's that plays a that plays a really big role in in all of it. So, it's hard for people to come out and see it, but they really should. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, Mike, you know what? We've not you've we've not asked the sixty four thousand we've not asked the sixty four thousand dollar question in a while. What would I mean? You you have a lot of experience now with with rally in the u.s and and with rally america and the ara i mean what do you think is the future of rallying in america what would you like to do to see rally grow in america i mean is it changes to the car classes or something like that or or do we need more homologated cars like uh, the, car, the cars we see out and on the WRC? Or do we need to increase the grassroots? What would you? What would you? What would you like to do? Wow, um, blank check not, question. Yeah, the this is check. we haven't asked for a long time. Um, the blank check question is a tough one for me because I, I think most of North American rally is about competitors and I'm not one. So it, it's tough for me to make those calls. Um, I'd, I'd love to see a TV deal. I really would. Um, because I think that is actually the way to grow the sport and it wouldn't necessarily alienate the lower, the, the sort of um, grassroots uh, competitors, but to make the sport more exciting and more visible to everyone, you, we, we really need like, 10 top guys at every event we need uh we need we need five more david higginses and five more uh travis pastranas and if we had that with a couple of manufacturers there would be no doubt that we would be um a huge success and, and people would be watching um i think there's a lot of things i know you guys talked a lot about the pop-off valve uh on the last episode and i and um i think that has some value as well but only if your goals are not to be um, a big professional series. If you say like, really, we're just about the competitors. We don't care about TV. We don't care about marketing. We just want to have subscriptions and people come out and race and have a good time. And that's our goal. Then I think the pop-off valve is the way to go. If you are trying to market the series and grow it and become a big thing, then, then the pop-off valve is probably not the way to go, but it, it's a, uh, the, the, what I would like to see, and every traditional rallyist will, will object, uh, would be more PIR stages. Um, one of my favorite things about Oregon Trail is that it is a three-day event, um, mm-hmm. and that there's one day that is incredibly visible. Like, that, that, that racetrack is packed. There's so it many is. people. We get it's a lot great. of people to come to that. Yeah. And I think every event needs one of those. They're doing it in the WRC. It's a super huge success out there. They always have it. Uh, and I think it's really critical to like the visibility of the sport. I'd like to see that happen everywhere. I know a traditional a true rallyist doesn't like those things. They, they want to be in the woods and don't want man-made jumps and all this stuff. But uh, I think it's the way to kind of bridge the gap between racing in the middle of nowhere and, um, and rallycross. Uh, I love Rallycross. I think Rallycross is here to stay. And I think eventually more manufacturers will, will jump on board. And I think we're going to see that pretty soon. But uh, I think Rally needs to not go full Rallycross, but they need to go 10% Rallycross. You know, I remember David Higgins once saying that he wished that 
every stage rally would finish with a rally cross at the very end. The last stage would be like a short little rally cross or something. Yeah. Uh, they had so much fun with that. Yeah. They did it at like, uh, yeah, we've, there was, uh, some events, uh, on the last year before we switched to ARA that had done that. And, you know, um, Ojibwe, I hear doesn't have it this year, uh, but has had it in the past. And that's been a super successful thing. In town stages are amazing, and that's all you need. That's what. That's how you draw the visibility. Um, super huge. Oh, that downtown stage was brilliant. I loved it. We were up on top of the hotel roof and looking down at the cars going through, and it, yeah, that that was that was a lot of fun for sure. I uh, got to see uh, a great bird's eye view of Travis Nice making uh, a mistake and going into the uh, water filled barrier. Oops. Yeah, I was I was stood only like 15 20 yards from that. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty close to it too. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but, it was yeah, a big You're right. Those urban environments are uh something that draws in the casual fan, right? Not mm. the just the dedicated um well, they stage all rally start, fan. They all start as casual fans. You got to you have to start there. So, um, yeah. the, the, we used to like rely on the TV show, like, Oh, grazers, people will be just like changing, flipping the channel. And then, Oh, look, what's that weird thing? The car's going sideways and there's a ton of dirt and it looks really awesome. Um, but you know, now that's all like menus on the TV screen and a lot of online videos. And if you're not looking for rally, you're not going to find it. So, um, you gotta, we gotta go to the people. So that's what I would like to see. Uh, that's a fair point. Um, you know, speaking of rallycross as well, um, you know, I was talking about how I really like kind of the World RX's formula. Uh, GRC's was a little bit different in how they structured their Joker, um, how they did the final stage was even longer. I think it was like 10 laps or something like that. So you had tire degradation as part of it. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts in seeing the two differences now up close. Um, in you know, in the U.S. version, as it kind of, you know, this is a new version of that um, with America's Rallycross. What would you like to see there? Um, we saw still kind of domination from Volkswagen. Uh, would you like to see any rules changes that that changes things a little bit there? Well, yeah, we did see a pretty good race by Volkswagen. They definitely had a solid race. Um, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know enough about the rules, and I don't know about the nitty gritty of it all to really get into it too much. Um, but I don't think they're going to be dominant all year. I know the work that Subaru has put into their car, and I know that they left Silverstone disappointed. Um, yeah. Not and not because they thought like, well, that was the best race we could have ever done, and we didn't do it, and we still weren't good enough. That's not what happened. Um, they had some bad luck and some unfortunate things that kind of got in their way, and a podium was for sure in reach, and maybe even better. So uh, I think they're going to – you're going to see some more com- competition there. I think Ken and um, Arpin are going to be super competitive. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see what you saw last year with uh, with Red Bull. I mean, I'm a little biased. I'll acknowledge that. Uh, <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> what else could I say? Uh, but um, I, I don't think it's going to be that uh, close. I mean, it's tough that they're, they, they're a big team with a big budget and – they got a lot of support from VW and they bring a lot of engineers to every event and Subaru brings a lot as well, but not that many. And, uh, they definitely feel like the little guy trying to beat up against the, the big bear, but uh, I think they're going to do a lot this year. Uh, I hope they are. I'm certainly cheering for them. And I think they're, they've got a good package this year. So I think on that level, when you're talking about the comp- competitiveness of the sport, 
Um, I, I'm not too upset about it. I don't think it's going to be a four event sweep by VW. I, sure, I certainly hope not. Um, and I think I'm, I'm really sad that they're not doing a 10 car final, the 10 lap final. Cause yeah. that was, that was quite honestly the best part of GRC because it was I, just I, I like that. insane 10 laps. I, it was, it was awesome. and, and, and you could, you had, you know, where somebody would have a car that would fail. It couldn't last that long at that pace. Right. So you had to maybe retune the car slightly for that final. So it wouldn't, cause I mean, it's almost like drag racing in my opinion, when, when you do these, uh, you know, four lap or six lap finals, like you tune it. If, if the car blows up across the finish line, perfect. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Preferably you know, all, you did it but, just right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it's almost kind of like that. And with that 10 lap final, you, the driver has to manage things as well. Uh, not just the, the power up, but, but the tires and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and I found that definitely a, a little more interesting. Unfortunately, it makes it a little harder to fit that, that in among, uh, other content from the, uh, the, the heats and whatnot into a TV program with the condensed time frame that's allowed. Yeah. But I did like it as a final for sure. Um, yeah. So I, I know in I, in person it was just like chaos, and it felt like chaos. But it was right. just, you know, uh, six laps just feels like it's gone really quick. Um, exactly, I understand it. I understand it. it's a good format. It works. But uh, I think that's why they they probably chose that. Probably was from a time standpoint more than anything. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it kind of makes sense that it would. Uh, and trying to get the content they're looking for because they've got obviously their hour long TV program as well. I think you might also see a little bit of an evolution in that um, because in Europe, the tracks are longer. Oh, um, right. They're custom built tracks and they've been built over years. And um, I like that. So, yeah. They're good 45 or 50 second laps. Whereas in, in the GRC days, they were 35 second laps. Um, so that's where the, the longer races came from because they were like, well, it's only, it's only 30 seconds. So uh who knows we're gonna see what the what the lap times i heard the lap times at coda are really short um and uh we'll see what happens but i think next year when they announce a, a bigger calendar with more events i'm hoping uh you'll see maybe some rule changes that are more american centric right now i think okay. most of the rules are just a, they're basically a carryover I don't think yeah. there's much that's changed other than a few uh, car changes that are allowing the, the the old GRC cars to continue to compete because they wouldn't qualify necessarily for ARA or um, for FIA. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, so, I'm gonna say, you know, the two things that that that, that I'm really excited about is a, a, a number one, I like how they do their Joker. I like the Joker being a a longer lap, not a shorter lap, and just my opinion. Um, and then on top of that, I'm excited to see the uh, the Focus RSRX out there because to me that's a chassis design that fits well in competition with the Subarus. What I think is a more similar platform back and forth, a, a Ford versus Subaru battle, and I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think it's coming. Um, there was also something that played uh, played a lot in Silverstone was was the tires. Um, the Subaru, the Subaru guys, and actually a lot of the North American guys had very limited time with those Cooper tires. Ah. Um, uh. They they did most of their testing with the tire that was supposed to be for GRC, and it had a much harder edge. And the the new tires are a little more; they're better on wear, but they they don't have quite the same edge. And so, 
um, it, it created some like setup changes, uh, things you expected to work a certain way now weren't working that way. And, and there was some, there was uh, like a lot of work behind the scenes to try to figure out how, how to quickly adapt the setup to make it work. Um, now the team has had more time with the tires and I know they've done some more testing. So, you know, there's all these things that are playing into it that are, that, you know, are so, so abstract from the outside and seem like you don't even notice what they're dealing with, but there's a lot that they're trying to work out and not that every other team isn't working that out. And I can imagine there's going to be some knowledge share, right? From the factory Volkswagen team for FIA world RX being able to transfer some of that knowledge to the Andretti Autosport run uh, ARX uh, rally team, right? I have no idea if that's happening. I would assume it is. So some sort of knowledge might, must be passed, I, I, I would guess. But uh, anyway, the, the, there's all these things that are playing in, and, and, and they're all learning. So I guess that's whoever learns the fastest. So uh, we'll, we'll find out. A uh, week and a half from now in Coda, m- maybe, uh, maybe it'll be a different story. Maybe it won't. I certainly... I think if nothing else, it's going to be an exciting race. Brand new track. Um, have you seen it yet? Uh, I have not been in person, no. Uh, I know the team was there this week doing some testing. Um, so there's a lot of hope for their efforts. Um, but I haven't been myself. I, I hear from what I understand, it's very similar to when we were there with X Games, um, except there's a section that's bit, that's no longer being used and, and there's a little more dirt. So... Um, I guess I have an idea of what it will be like, but uh, I guess it's it's a pretty wide track, but uh, very short, so it should be fun. Well, we like more dirt. Um, that That's yeah. one thing that's always been uh, – my, my contentious thing back when GRC was doing it was they'd throw in some sand or dirt or whatever, and it would be on a straight. It's like, that does nothing. Come on. Put it in the dark yeah. corners. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I have – high expectations for what uh, ARX is going to do, especially, like I said, under the, the new group that's kind of running things. Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, quite a bit different. So, um, well, we're excited to see, like I said, this new generation of, of Rallycross. We're looking forward to see growth in uh, Stage Rally. Um, obviously, Canada's got it right right now. Uh, excited to see what 2019 brings with that pop-off valve. That'll be an interesting yeah. development. Uh, to see how that plays out to uh, to keep the the competition a little bit more tight there. So yeah, um, um, I I know a little bit about the pop off valve. Obviously, since we're the connected to the series, we go to the AGM when this was being discussed, and the the pop off valve comes from the R fives. Um, and basically, the main reason for the pop off valve isn't to restrict anything or anything like that, it's to, it's to help make it easier to police because, you know, uh, I, I don't know about ARA, but the CRC is, you know, a not-for-profit organization. Um, they mm-hmm. run a tight budget and every event have, they have, it's a challenge to find the right stewards and the right organizers and then tech inspectors and all these things. All those and people are volunteers. They're all volunteers. And, and it's not like the FIA that has like professional people who will disassemble a car if they have to, to find the cheater. We're not doing that. So how do you convince everyone to play play along and ha- and level the playing field and stay within their class without breaking any rules? And I'm not calling anyone cheater, by the way. I'm just saying, how do no, we no. know they're not? Um, is putting in this pop-up valve. It just basically says, okay, well, you can't run more than X boost. 
If you do, it, the valve's going to open and you're going to lose all power for um, until you until you go back under the boost. So get the valve. It's not expensive. Tune your carb to stay under the valve and we all go racing and it's no problem. Um, that's really the, the point of it. And it comes from that from the R5 class. It's, it's actually an R5 part, but it's easily adaptable. So that's why that is being put in in Canada. It's uh, just to try to keep keep everyone honest without having to 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 find you know all the extra people and all the extra things that it would take to do so it's a it's like a tamper-proof little valve there's nothing you can do to it it's it's really quite perfect but um the other thing about that is like there's a lot of talk about it wanting to you know oh is it going to slow down the sport is it going to be less spectacular and the number one place where it will change the game is after the corner not not before the corner and not in the corner because in the corner you're braking and then you're sliding and then it's when you go to hit on the hit the gas to the next straightaway uh the guy that has all the extra power just goes up the gears and he's gone it won't affect how people attack the corner so that's really like where the game is being played it's that that kick on the way out right right So, so i think i think it's a i think it's a really good solution I'm not a racer. I'm not a mechanic. Just a TV guy. But hey, I think it's good. I've ridden in some fast cars. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I actually, it's a sore point for me. I've I've not been in a Super Rally Team USA car. I haven't either. So that's the car. I haven't been. I got to ride in Ken's Kazi. I got yeah. to ride with uh, with Brian awesome. Bouffier in the Mitsubishi Mirage. That's um, run by. Gosh, now I'm losing it here. Art Grushka? Oh, Grushka. Yeah, Art Grushka's car. Um, so I got to ride in that, and that was pretty cool. Um, and and f- wicked fast. I mean, Ryan Bouffier, he's freaking amazing, right? Um, so, you know, I got to do some yeah. fun things. But, yeah, I, not with SRT USA yet. So you and I both need to uh, make that happen at some point. Well, you, <laughs> yeah. you really should be pulling well, some strings, shouldn't you? Yeah, you know, you, it's, it's... You, you, you do have some contacts in 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 the, in the team, don't you? <laughs> uh, I have. It's it's always one of those things, you know. There's always a media ride to be had, and 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 you know, it just it just hasn't worked out. I'm sure it will. Um, I'm sure it will. I, I'm, I'm now told the whole world. So, uh, guys, uh... <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, hello, like a hello? ride, please. <laughs> David, anyone, anyone, David. Uh, as we kind of close out here, uh, we actually have some other uh, rally subjects since you seem to be quite the fan now, which is, that's what I love about this, actually. You're a guy that, you started out as just a kind of media guy, you found out about sport, you are now a huge fan. I can tell, I mean, when you're talking about all this background on all the teams, it's not that you're forced to do it, you're obviously intrigued by it, and it, it, we know that, that people, once they kind of start watching and following, you just kind of get sucked in. Um, the drama's all there, and so... You know, we kind of follow the rest of the news that's been going on with uh, other rallying type events uh, around the world. And uh, one of the subjects uh, that came up in this past couple of weeks since we were last on the show is the new Pikes Peak Hill Climb, which Pikes Peak is like a single stage on a stage rally. Yeah. Um, and they actually have one of the classes is actually a rally class. They actually have a co-driver um, with them. Um, but in this case, the fastest time, Romain Dumas in mm-hmm. an all-electric VW IDR Pikes Peak car beat Loeb's 875 horsepower Peugeot 208 T16 up yeah. that mountain 
I'm I'm flabbergasted by this. I mean, the car looked impressive, but I'm like, well, batteries are freaking heavy. I mean, come on. You know, I I know that there's no altitude issues with the power output of electric, which is the very big advantage. But you would have thought that they wouldn't beat it that soon. I I wish I would have put money on it. I should I should have. I'm not a gambling man, but I you were that convinced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw the press release and they said, we're hoping to break the electronic, the electric uh, speed record. I was like, liar. You're all liars. Is it it VW's modus operandi to uh, underestimate and overdeliver? That car is a spaceship. You're going for the win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I mean, I think it's amazing. I think it's, I mean, there's no doubt that the motorsports is going to go electric at some, in some capacity. If not today or tomorrow, it's for sure coming. Uh, I think it's great. I think I think it's an unbe- unbelievable uh, result, and I I always knew that an electric car was going to do that. It's just a perfect storm. It's like a single stage. It's like it's built for electric cars. Like we all knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us thought it was coming this fast. Um, and I think that was that's what's truly amazing about it is is just uh, how well it was, how quickly mm-hmm. it was done. Um, because people thought that that lobe, that lobe uh, record was going to last for a long, long time, and in the end, boy, it didn't it? Didn't so. I mean, oh. I mean, the lobe car was basically a, like felt like looked like a, a Le Mans car with with a rally spec on it, and and this looks like a spaceship, and I guess that's what it takes—just an immense uh, engineering job and some brilliant driving, but. Uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I've yeah. always I've always wondered why Subaru didn't go do it, and they they said, well, you know, look, and and then they point to stuff like that, and you go, okay, I see. <laughs> yeah, the budget's a little different. <laughs> it would be their it would be their budget for their entire race season, <laughs> or something like that. But it's amazing. I'm glad I'm not the only one who who wasn't surprised by by the uh, by the VW record because uh, like. I was I was pretty convinced that from from the get go that uh, that they were going to be there was going to be a new overall record. But uh, yeah, I, I kept kept played a little bit cagey towards the uh, towards the start. But then then when I found out that uh, they set the fastest time in qualifying, but they beat Loeb's qualifying time by seven seconds, I thought, well, that's it. Yeah, bets so. are off. You know, yeah. it's over. It was just a question of how 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 much it was going to beat it by it's and not the only it's not the only big feat that uh porsche vw has accomplished in the last week there's also nope. the the nurburgring uh record exactly. that they smashed yeah. mm-hmm. that i mean I get, I get it okay that record had been there since like 1983 or something or 19 yeah 83 but boy i watched that on that on board that's that's that, that looks like, it looks it looks fast forwarded i mean <laughs> an uneducated person would be like that's trickery that's not real yeah, yeah. Uh, right. you know I, I watched some of the I think it was the first season that Porsche came into the WRC or WEC sorry uh, with that 919 hybrid and um, them versus the Audi going back and forth at Silverstone was one of the most exciting racing events I've ever seen in my entire life yeah, uh, it just one of them had them in the corners. The other one had it on the straights and the acceleration with the electric hybrid concept was just insanity. Mm-hmm. It was mm. complete insanity. 
and uh, yeah, obviously, I, I don't disagree that electric uh, electrification is going to be part of the future for sure. When it comes to endurance racing, I think hybridization is where we're going to more see it, and we know that rallying is a endurance sport, right? Um, yeah. So doing that full electric probably not going to happen, but from a hybridization standpoint, for sure, I, I think we might see that, and. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that maybe plays out uh, in the future. Um, man, the acceleration out of the corners you're talking about, you know, you're talking about pop-pop valves kind of slowing things down. Let me tell you, you add a little electric motor to those front wheels and let <laughs> those things are going to yeah. rocket out of the corners instead, yeah. right? Yeah. It'd be, be definitely very different. But uh, kind of to go over the times real quick for those uh, of you that maybe haven't seen it, go online and just do a, a quick YouTube search, and VW does have it posted of that time that Romain uh, Dumas did up that mountain. Uh, it's slightly shortened, uh, I believe, but so your Loeb's 875 horsepower Peugeot did it in eight minutes, 13.878 seconds. And that obliterated the previous time that was just barely under the nine minute barrier. I think it was like, uh, eight minutes and 50 seconds prior. So he just dominated that one. Well, this electric car with Dumas, he broke the eight minute barrier down to seven minutes, 57.148 seconds. Yeah. Man, Shocking. that's just, yeah, it, it, that's a rocket ship. That's a, an incredible driver, an incredible car. Um, some bravery from what I saw going through some of those corners, having faith in the downforce yeah. to hold that yeah. car on the ground because it's bouncing around. That that road is not smooth, by the way. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, it obviously it's on top of a mountain, so you got heat comes down from the sun it'll get it'll bake you know and then it'll freeze and you have that constant change on that asphalt it's gonna create a lot of warping right and that's exactly what it looked like that car was you know driving over in some of those curves and yet he was going really quick through some of those so wow uh that's some serious cojones that Romain Dumas got for sure um yeah. but he's a rally man mm -hmm. we love this guy yeah. um i don't know if, have you ever seen the favorites. rgt cars um, that were running in some of the WRC events, the um, the RGT class. He would be driving a Porsche, whatever, one of the newer Porsche 9-something or others. I, I always forget what the, the newer version of the 911 is. But he's done uh, several of the tarmac rallies um, in the WRC under the RGT class. So he's, he's definitely a guy that can do just about anything. And so hats off to him. Great new uh, record there. Other bits of news, uh, if, if anyone wants to comment on, we heard WRC, in WRC, Mads Osberg is now confirmed for the rest of the season with Citroen on the events Loeb's not running. Are we surprised by that? No. No, not at all. No. Just, yeah. No. just, yeah. He put in great times. Mm -hmm. And he's exciting. Consistency's king, right? Yeah, yeah, he's dependable. So, yeah. Maybe maybe Citroen will now score, start to score more regular regular points. Yeah, I, I want I want that car to do better. Uh, it's a beautiful car, and and I got really excited when before the the new cars had come out, and I just saw like a, a mock up or something of that car. I was like, wow, it's a super attractive rally car, and it is. Uh, and I've just been cheering for them. I'm not even a Citroen fan. I've just been cheering for them because of how sexy that car is and uh i just i just want them to do something well because i don't want it to go away what was your kind of opinion uh christopher on the whole chris meek situation um i think i'm probably in with everyone uh that it's sad for 
what was obviously a fan favorite. I mean, the guy is just he, to me, he's what a rally driver should be. A guy who who like take risks and you know wears his passion on his face. And uh, I just I, I like him so much every time he talks and every time he had a good result that you could you could feel the relief and the that emotion that he had with it all and. Uh, I hope he I hope he finds a ride. I think he I think uh, he'll probably end up in World RX because because that kind of um, fearlessness has a place there, and I think he'd do well there. Um, I don't know I don't know I I'm, I feel I feel bad for him, but I, I understand why they did it. It's a lot of crashing, so yeah. I think um, some of his crashes were in times where there was like not necessarily a, a reason for him to be pushing and i don't know that he was you know sometimes it's just like a lapse in judgment or you know he misses a corner misses a note or whatever it is but uh i think that was probably more problematic if he had been fighting for a win and he crashed they would probably be okay with it it was that when they were when they were fighting for not a win and he and he was having crashes and i think that was a tough pill to swallow so one event we were talking about last last week with Hubert was um, Targa Newfoundland and he mm-hmm. and we were actually um, contacted by the people at uh, Targa Newfoundland and they said oh don't forget that Targa Bambina is on over Canada Day weekend which was of course last weekend yes yeah. so, and that was a, an, an event that I was interested to follow because something that I, I saw was once I'd liked them on Facebook, because the Bambina, Bambina is like it's on public roads, and what they were doing on Facebook, I thought was really cool, was they were making announcements on Facebook when the roads were when the roads that are in use were being closed and when they were open. I've never seen I've never seen that done. done Interesting. Before. So I thought that was that was really cool. Interesting. Uh, I've. I haven't been to Bambina, but I have been to Target Newfoundland twice uh-huh. uh, with Ooh. the media team. Um, it's it's uh, quite an event. It's one of those events that the day, it, uh, from a media standpoint, not a racer, the day after the event's over, you're like, I never want to do that again. That was exhausting. I'm beat. And then a, and then a week later, you you'd be like, you, you want to do it next year? You're like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so uh, awesome. It's such a cool event. It really is. Um, it's it, where it's really different uh, from, and, you know, it's different from a media standpoint, but it's really different from anyone's standpoint is like usually at a rally, you, you know, you check into your hotel and that's where you're going to be for the weekend. Like you can leave your bags. Um, they change cities every night. So you leave St. John's, you, you got to put your bag in the truck with your team or for, in my case, in the back of my rental car and you film all day, and then when you're done, you got to check into a new hotel because you're you're not in St. John's anymore. You're in Gander, and then the next night you're in Clarenville, and the next night you're in Marystown, and every night you're moving. And it's this it's this crazy traveling circus. And most nights finishes with a, a race through the town, and the whole community's into it, and it's really fun. So uh, it's a wild event. I don't think I. I don't think it's really like the a rally the way a normal rally works, just mm-hmm. because of the scoring and uh, it's. Uh, but it's its own challenge, and I think it's. I think it's really interesting. It's fun to see uh, like a, a big block Chevy up against a, 
GTR up against a Audi Quattro and they all have their place and somehow can all compete together and there's going to be one winner at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's really unbelievable. Yeah, there's there's a there's a great mystique about this this event, and uh, yeah, it's it's one I'm really interested in learning more about. And uh, yeah, I like like I said to Hubert last week. I mean, I move in circles of people who've who have competed, and uh, people that uh, when they've had a, a whiskey or two too many to drink, think that they will. Uh, they will build a car to compete in Targa. So maybe I might find myself in a co-driver's seat. Who knows? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I highly recommend you do it because it's uh, one of a lifetime. I, I will warn you, though, as a co-driver, it's not uh, stage notes like you're used to. It's actually yep. like tulips. Mm-hmm. So you're re- reading diagrams and trying to call them out. And uh, it's not very detailed. So it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's a very different uh, experience can be very uh, very rewarding when you manage because you're reading something you've never really looked at before and trying to get it right. And when you do, I'm sure it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is very different. Um, and the other the other thing is, is uh, you're going to just love the people. Yeah. The people really like take it from a 10 to a 12. Um, uh, the story, I, I tell the story a lot, but I'll tell it on, on air and then I'll never have to t- I'll never be allowed to say it again. Um I was I was traveling for this tra- for this race and I, I got I have this thing okay go to this spot this is where you're gonna film and it was someone's front lawn and I pulled up on the driveway and knocked and the woman came out and she said uh, sorry I didn't knock on the door she just came over to see me it's a big property like a sort of like farm and she said uh, I said oh well, hi uh, I hope you don't mind uh, I'm I'm here to film the race do you mind if I shoot from this spot oh yeah no problem okay and she stopped chatting with me a little bit where are you from all this stuff and I said. I hope you don't mind, but would, would you mind if I use your bathroom? I've been on the road all day. Oh, yeah, sure. Go right into that house, second door on your left. So I walk into the house. And there's people on the right watching TV. Uh, and then there's a guy in the kitchen making himself a sandwich. And then I go to the bathroom. No one says anything. I go to the bathroom. I, I wash my hands. I say, okay, hi, bye, bye. I say bye to everyone. They're like, oh, okay, bye. And I walk out. And I said, thank you so much. By the way, you have a beautiful house. She said, oh, that's not my house. I'm over there. My house is the, the one on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> not oh, one, that's brilliant. Not I love one that. person stopped me. Not one person was like, excuse me, what are you doing here? Not one. <laughs> that is great. I love that. That's a great story. Man, I love small towns like that. You know, when you go through those little villages and things, that's just great. <laughs> well, the, the Rock is just a—it's a crazy welcoming place, and everyone's super cool. So, those people actually came out and offered me a Twinkie and a coffee after, after I invaded their personal space. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. When okay. on that note, to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I—I I ju- I just got one last feel-good story from the. Uh... Targa Bambina, and because uh, I've not actually seen any results yet online, but uh, the big story out of the event is that uh, the um, that a local a local man with with cerebral palsy was co-driver in the car that finished in, in second place. He's wow. a, he's a He's a local resident, and he's been a fan of uh, Targa New, Newfoundland for. For years and years, and uh, 
He's he's um he's actually petitioned the town that he lives in to uh, have the Targa Newfoundland run through his town, and when they've had the had it run through his town, which is called uh, Garnish or something like yeah. something like something like that, and they had a few problems with with the race, and they weren't running it through there, weren't going to run it through there the other year, so he petitioned the city council again to have the race run through through their town but so he's a huge fan and this guy who's was driving in the event who's called andrew warren he heard about this guy and his incredible enthusiasm for for the event so he asked him to be his co-driver amazing and they they finished second in the uh, oh forget which class it was there's those three classes, and I think it was the the top class. It was it was actually the Targa, the Speed Targa class yeah. that they finished. They finished so the, the second. That, that's the Targa class. It's uh, Touring, Grand Touring, and Targa. If yeah, they haven't changed it, but that's my understanding. Yeah, so. but yeah, yeah, but they they finished finished second. So that's your that's your feel good story for the day. Well, that's pretty awesome. It's a really good story. I really like that a lot. Uh, it just you know it, it shows I guess that that community the the family type uh, atmosphere that I think rallying has as a whole. Um, you know th- there just aren't very many forms of motorsport where uh, th- there's so much interaction I think between the fan base and the compet- competition um, and then among competitors as well. You know that we've talked again and again about competitors helping competitors falls along that same thing. You know the the support of everybody in the sport and bringing in uh, people that uh, are just huge fans and, and getting them that much more involved. That's just awesome. Um, I'm going to end with a little bit sadder note, unfortunately, uh, because something that happened just this uh, last week. For us here in the Pacific Northwest, we lost somebody that was very close to rallying. Um, someone that goes back to the beginnings of rallying in the Pacific Northwest um, in the early days. Uh, Rich Olmstead. Rich was someone that talking to him is why I got involved in rally. He is the man that had the stories. Um, he, we actually did a podcast with him and his good friend, uh, uh, Mike Nagel, um, uh, last fall. Uh, cause I just, he was always telling stories. I'm like, I got to get a recording of some of these. This is great. He was a guy that competed, uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, Got to hold it together here. Uh, Rich was a huge influence of the Oregon Rally Group. The Oregon Trail Rally probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Rich Olmstead. He was one of the founders of the Oregon Rally Group that runs that uh, stage rally. He was involved as a volunteer when the WRC was at Olympus. Uh, he put in so much work into the sport. Um, when the SCCA was running uh, the rallying, he was one of the safety stewards that traveled around the country um, with with the uh, SCCA uh, when it's called Pro Rally then, and uh, made sure events were safe. He was one of the people that helped us with safety all the time. Safety was number one, of course, and it's something we always think about still even today, obviously. Um, yeah, he uh, unfortunately passed away uh, um, uh, just over a week ago, and it was a shock to all of us. Uh, he was at the Oregon Trail Rally this year, stage setup he was out there putting the stakes in the ground he's one of the first people out there to set up the stages and then after the rally was over three days later he's out there still cleaning up when everybody else is home that's just the guy he was wow 
Uh, he did everything for the sport. His shop. Um, when I would go and, uh, you know, I have a, a number of roles that I do because I'm not just, you know, a guy that does media stuff. I'm also an organizer with Oregon Trail and do a lot of different duties. When I went to his shop to uh, set up the stage boxes, inside his shop, there's banners of and posters of all the years of rallying. He was a man that uh, was such a huge supporter of the sport, and he was a big bear of a guy, but the nicest guy you'd ever meet. And uh, anyways, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I miss him. I, uh, I, I'm so happy and proud that I got to know him because he's one of those guys that made the sport as great as it is and helped draw in people like me. Uh, one of the, some of the comments, uh, Oregon Rally Group has a Facebook page, of course, and uh, when we posted about that, uh, there's been a lot of comments. People's like, wow, Rich is the reason why I'm a volunteer. Rich is the reason why I got involved in the sport. Rich is the reason, you know, mm-hmm. and there just aren't enough people like that. And um, we're going to try and do a really big send-off uh, with this celebration of life that's going to be in another uh, week and a half or so. Um, I think you would have liked if uh, maybe a bunch of rally cars were maybe outside uh, where, where the funeral's going to be. Um, so we're going to see if we can get people to bring rally cars. Uh, one of my suggestions was is volunteers, if they're still in good condition. I know it's not <clears throat> typical funeral attire, but wear the oldest in good condition volunteer shirt that you've got <laughs> from the years of Oregon Trail. I think that's a pretty good idea yeah, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've got mine that's, uh, I think the first year I volunteered was 2011. You know, obviously he goes back many years before that. And uh, anyways, I think that would just be kind of a cool thing. Anyway. Um, if you want to hear some of the stories from uh, Rich Olmstead, uh, go to our uh, website, openpaddock.net. Uh, just search Rich Olmstead, and it'll come up. Uh, it, it's, it's a great, great one. Some crazy stories. Uh, one last little thing about that. Whenever we do these, there's stuff that I have to edit for time, and I cut out some bits. And Rich, Rich is a talker. Rich is a guy that could just go off on a tangent. Sometimes it would annoy us in the meetings because we'd want to like, okay, we got to end this. We got, we got to get to the next subject. And he'd tell us something that happened, you know, many years ago. And like, okay, let's get on with it. And, and the podcast kind of had some of that stuff. He'd kind of get on a tangent and I had to cut out some stuff. And, you know, you go and you clean up your computer and you get rid of the raw files, right? Um, and and I'm, I'm sure that, Christopher, you can relate to that, um, having yeah. to, you know, edit things and cut things. And I'm like, now that he's gone, I'm like, oh, I know I just did a cleanup recently, and I, I, I'm, I'm a common person to do the shift delete to just instantly delete it all. And I went to the recycle bin, and there it was right at the very top. Hadn't been emptied yet was the specific interview that I did with him. Uh, that was kind of cool. So I still have some of the raw stuff that has some other little bits that uh, we end up having to edit out, but it's nice that I still have that. So uh, love that, man. Really do. Anyway, uh. Any final words, uh, Mr. Christopher Bowes? Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fun talking about all things in Canada, in the U.S. Uh, it's an exciting time for rally, man. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's really exciting, uh, and uh, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And I appreciate you having me on and taking the time. And uh, uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope uh, I hope it continues and uh, continues to grow. Excellent. Well, that about wraps up our show uh, for this week's Open Paddock Rallycast. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. 
uh, Free and Homes, our guest, Christopher Bowes. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a good day. Thank <laughs> you.